Welcome back to the Reloads Podcast. My name's Nigel Lamont, and with me as usual is... Lee Maxwell. And Connor McCann. So today I am back in the Reload Bunker. I have borrowed another recorder, so hopefully the sound quality is a bit better. If not, just ignore what I said. It's experimental, folks. We can cut that bit out if it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how's things with you guys? All good? Yeah, pretty good. Not much has changed on our end. We're still doing the same things and not going too far. Well, we've started to relax the uh, lockdown a bit since I think the last time we've done a podcast, haven't we? Yeah, anyone who's a keen golfer or uh, anything like that. <laughs> They've relaxed everything for Protestants, basically, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody with the money, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I came home from work last so, Monday, I think it was, and... I was, I don't know what was wrong with me, I was so tired and I went straight to bed, which is not like me, I don't sleep very much, and then I woke up, and I don't know if I'd read something half asleep on my phone or what, and I was like, did they lift the lockdown restrictions slightly? And then for days I was like, did I make that up? I'm not really sure. (laughs) Did I dream that? (laughs) So I I don't know what's going on anymore, I don't pay much attention to it. I I think it's going to take a long time to get used to, and they do start to ease things even more, like I, I find myself now just, you know, walking down the road avoiding people. I think it's something that's mentally it's going to take a long time for people to get over. Yeah, it's just kind of like second nature or habit just to do those things. You know, if you just have it in your head, at the start it was difficult. You kind of train yourself to do it. And then once it all lets up, like I'm I'm very touchy-feely and I'll like see people at shows and hug them and like male, female, whatever, you know, so everybody's getting a hug. And then now, now I'm standing like... Your gender f- fluid, Connor. Yeah. I don't really care. Yeah, I, I don't discriminate it to anybody. <laughs> uh, uh, on like a major brand that we'll talk about later on. <laughs> but, I, I, think I've ta- I think I've talked to you about this here, is um, people just not sticking to the rules as such and keeping their distance. And I think we have once or twice talked about uh, drop-kicking people in the middle of supermarket aisles that don't know how to keep their distance. Yeah, I don't even want to get into that. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not, a, not a proud moment when you go to beat up a seven-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah. Care in the community. Exactly. You should have needed care when I was done more. <laughs> so, as you may have noticed on our Instagram, we've been going live with lockdown logs. We've done quite a few people so far, folks, haven't we? Yeah, from the last time we recorded, we've had... Me. Ah, yeah, that's right. We're done, walk, we're done walk rounds, yeah. Yeah, so, well, from the beginning then, we've had yourself, Nigel, you, Lee... I don't have much worth showing anybody, so I haven't went on and done it. I've interviewed Mike Polly and Ian Kay, both from America. You've done Gethin. Gethin, Ronan and Robin. And yeah. he's going to do some soon as well. This is being recorded on Sunday. Tonight we're going live to America. Is that correct, Corey Sterling? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Actually, last night as well, we had Marty Mim and his friends with That's Mark right. Seven, yeah. the static golf hour. I think I was talking to you about this. There's so much detail in Marty's car that we previously hadn't noticed. I read his build thread online before, like a few months back, and it was the sort of car I'd be like, yeah, that's nice, and walk on. And then when you actually read about it and the work that's went into it and like subtle details is crazy. But I think that's the thing with modern cars too. Like, you know the spec list of my Edition 30. Yeah. My, my cars will walk past car too. The modern stuff sometimes doesn't get the, sometimes the recognition it deserves. People just go, ah, oh, lowered and, you know, yeah, mapped. It's an- it's another wheels and air car, whatever, but yeah, and some of them actually aren't. I'm as guilty yeah. as anybody of doing it, to be fair. So, yeah, we're going to do this for the next few weeks. Um, people are enjoying it. Feedback's good. Interaction's good. We're sort of trying to bring a community feel to the 
um, what we're trying to do, like with the podcast and the lockdown laws, get everybody connected again with no shows being on. I think even for everybody's in the same boat as this, but there's people that I don't see unless it's at a show over winter. Nothing's happening. You don't see anybody. Then come spring, you have all the shows kicking off and suddenly you're seeing everybody, but now you're not. So it's a good way to keep in contact with people. So, yeah, keep an eye on Instagram. The early ones didn't record to uh, post as such. So I think it basically starts with... Gethin. Gethin's. I see if there's an actual Instagram post, IGTV. Yeah. Um, I was explained I was explained to that Instagram basically recognized the algorithm and then allows you to save it, the IGTV. So... That, 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 didn't, that didn't kick in for the first two, so you learn something new every day, basically. That's it. We're old. We don't know these things. Um, Car-wise, anything, anything happened your end? The most exciting thing that's happened to me is I spotted a, a DeLorean out in the road the other day. That was about it. Very good. You didn't cross the car looking at it, no? I didn't, but I tell you what, it drew me. I, and I know they're a bit shitty, but they're cool, too. And when you see them on the road, they have serious presence because you don't realize how low and wide they are. They're they're much wider than most standard oh. cars on these roads, and they're a lot lower. Did you feel the need after doing the DeLorean podcast to pull them in and tell them up the full details of John DeLorean? <laughs> no, uh, I hadn't the heart to do it. He probably worships John DeLorean for building that car. He didn't want to break his heart. Myself, I done a wee bit on the the G60. I pulled the old suspension out. I've uh, been trying to get the old exhaust off to separate the back box. has been a bit of an issue. I've been discussing the fuse about like that. And then I've started to take a few bits and bobs out of the rear end of it to send off for powder coating. So I have done some work in the G60 for the first time in probably about two months. Well, I was fiddling about wheels there not so long ago, but that doesn't really count. Now you're a bit like myself. You sort of hit it in drips and drabs. You'll take a blast at it and then knock it back at it for a while. Procrastination's my middle name, Connor. <laughs> or, 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 or the numerous amount of jobs that you have. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. You're a busy man. So we'll move on to the news this week. Um, three items to discuss. First of all, I'm sure a lot of you listening to this podcast have heard of the show Fitted UK and England. They have cancelled their show for this year and moved it on to next year. But they are doing it this year because they can't do an actual event. They're going to do a, a, something like Dust Off. They're going to do a thing called Lockdown League. I think it's a combination between Dust Off and, you know, like Dub Logic, the Instagram. Yeah, do the do the voting. Cars versus cars. So okay. they're doing on, they're doing online entry. They're going to whittle it down next weekend from to 128 spots. And the entry's closed today, which is 24th of May. Okay. So come the 27th, they're going to have 128 spots. They are going to have four rounds: a quarterfinal, semifinal, and a final on the 7th of June. And the prizes are not to be sniffed at. First prize: 500 pound cash. There's tickets to next year's show, a massive auto finesse bundle and a massive I love bass bundle. Very nice. That's pretty good touch from them guys, just to sort of substitute us. We can't have a car show at the moment, so yeah. that's pretty cool. No, that's good. So it seems like lockdown is getting the people. There's a video circling the last few days of a certain RS6 stretching its legs in the southern motorway network in England. Have you seen that? Yeah. The first person I thought of was Carl up in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> a, uh, the video shows a guy going down, it looks like sort of sunset time, late evening, Yeah, going down the three-lane motorway, accelerating from 70 miles an hour right up to 202 miles an hour. It's... Not just for a minute, he, he held it out. Like. Yeah, he did. He, he didn't just back off. It's weird because dash cams and things like that with the fisheye lens tend to make things look a bit quicker. But that I think that video was just off his phone. It was insane. Yeah. Like he was passing vans and things like that. Like there was vans in the middle lane. He was passing the outside lane. Like they were stopped. 
I suppose if they if he's doing 130 mile an hour more than they are, he pretty much may as well be stopped. I think he was holding the phone in his right hand when he was doing it. Yeah, I think <laughs> he was too, sure. If you're going to be illegal, why not go the whole hog? But police have been on to it, and uh, they have released a statement. Police are aware of this. Superintendent Andy Cox, nice name. Aye, sir. Be right for a cop. We are aware of this horrific driving. I have passed some investigative work to see if we can identify the car involved in the relevant location. If we do, we will seek the most robust action possible. Basically, police will use number plate recognition on the motorway, and basically saying it's only a matter of time before it's caught. A hefty fine, driving man, possibly jail. Yeah, I think they said those people had messaged into them and identified the stretch of motorway that it was on. So that if they can get like any anybody's plate from your guy's video and see where it was picked up along the motorway, then they, then they'll just identify his car. Yeah, it used to be you, you can't outrun the radio, and then you can't outrun the chopper. Now you just can't outrun the cameras. You can't outrun Big Brother now. Yeah, that's it. I wonder, it's a pretty stupid thing to do, to video it and post it online, but I wonder, is this the kind of thing maybe he did and sent it to a friend, who then sent it to another friend and said, here, don't share this around, and suddenly it it does the rounds on WhatsApp, and then it appears on Facebook? Yeah, sounds like uh, another WhatsApp story. Not yeah, right. I'm not a big guy into football, like, but just to relate this to people, at 200, 201 miles an hour, He's covered 90 metres per second. Would I be right in saying some of the football pitches are about 90 metres long? I'd say they're not far off it. Yeah, so he's pretty much covering that per second. He's doing half, He's doing a half mile every 10 seconds. There, were, there was one point in the video, and I think it was a motorway maintenance van he went past. Yeah. And then he, he ate, and then next thing, boom, straight past it. Yeah, it's scary how quick it is. Like You wouldn't but, you wouldn't catch any of us or our friends doing that. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Connor, don't know what you mean. Nope. Nowhere near that. No, Um, we wouldn't let them catch us. (laughs) Following on from that there, it it appears that the Irish nation has pride and has seen this fella doing the speeding. The 1916 spirit of Michael Collins, (laughs) the fighting Irish, has been invoked. So, a day or two later, the Guard of Shikona put up a picture of somebody on the M50 clock doing 206 Kilometers an hour, not miles an hour. So, so good effort. What's that uh, about? One thirty, roughly. One two eight, I think. One twenty eight. Very nice. I think there's going to be a statue erected for him at the Medallo Circuit. Um, <laughs> there have been reports of the driver singing "Come Out You Black and Tans" as he was driving along. So that you, what you're saying is they're not going to be outdone by the English? Is that it? No, that's basically. So what you're saying is it was Ronan? <laughs> was this Ronan Hickey? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was up at Dave C's, like, so that would make sense. You know? Well, it also could have been Dave. <laughs> Shout out to Ronan. He sent me a few tasty videos. Uh, he was up at Dave C collecting a few bits and bobs for a rebuild. Um, Dave C took him out in the four-wheel drive R32 Turbo Golf. Um, yeah, the Mark II, isn't it? Yep. Dry road, third gear, 550 to 600 brake, and it was just spinning the, the wheels flat out. Yeah, it looked to be in the dry, spinning all four wheels on the slip yeah. road of a motorway. Just absolutely mental. That's some car. Yeah, absolutely. Right, moving on from that story, staying in England, Silverstone Auctions, a sort of famous auction that's been running for many, many years, selling some rare collectible cars. Looks like lockdown has not affected them whatsoever. They had their first solely online auction on the 23rd of May. You didn't hear anything about it, Connor, no? No, only what you showed us there recently. I think 85% of the stock sold which is really good. Um, so that meant all the cars, or 85% of the cars, met the reserve, or there was a deal done later on to sell them. And 
4.4 million in sales. I, I didn't see how many cars in total there was, but uh-huh. 4.4 million sales. And I would gather that Silverstone Auctions probably have a 10% plus commission rate in that, so not a bad day's work for no, them in total. Say they're happy enough with that. Just a quick rundown of some of the tasty cars that went up for sale. One of them was a Fusion T16 um, X-Works 205, yeah. It made above estimate, it made £336,000. Ooh. <laughs> wow. For a 205. Yeah. Jim Iroquois was having a bit of a clear out, and he sold his 1983 28 Alpina B9. It made about the correct money, it made £38,500. I'll keep them going for a week. Yeah, yeah. There was a barn find Sierra RS Cosworth 1987. It made middle estimate 36,000. Also, to note, there was a tasty looking 1992 Lotus Carlton. It made about estimate at 40,000 pounds. So it's crazy some of the prices of those cars. And I know it's stupid to be amazed that the price of older cars are going up, but like Sierras and stuff for things like that that we seen every day growing up. You know, it wasn't yeah. uncommon to see a Sierra like a Cosworth of any sort of description, but now it's like you see some of them there are the three doors making 70 grand you're like what is going on my my ex-neighbor he actually bought a cr caldworth out of my yard that was sitting for years and it needed extensive work i watched him rebuild it and it made you wince when he told you how much he had to pay for doors various parts the caldworth market is just so expensive now it's just ridiculous yeah it's not something i would want to get into no you need deep pockets to restore norris caldworths of that year so you want to move on to your stories then connor yeah, hopping across the water to America, and this is something that's actually, when I've seen it happening, I've been saying this for years, but Harbor Freight, their brand, they're like a cheaper brand of tools. They're selling, you know, the actual... Would that be, that be equivalent of Halfords or Draper or whatever? Probably cheaper again. Um, they do seem to do, from what I can gather, they do a lot of like deals, as in like warranties is very good on them. You just kind of walk in, hand it over and get swapped out, but they are cheaper to begin with. But okay. the the ratchet style axle stands, you know, rather mm-hmm. than the pin. So they've had recall on those for collapsing. Oh, lovely. Which I do not trust those things. I don't. You guys, I would never use a ratchet axle stand, no matter no. how good it was. But no, I just don't like them. No, I prefer something with a pin. I love I'll not mention that uh, I've landed under a G60 before Ratchet Axel stands underneath it yesterday. Oh, no. <laughs> now, if you're landing under a Mark III, it's okay, because if it falls, you can just punch your way through the rust. But Mark II <laughs> is a bit more solid. <laughs> um, like Superman, fist first. Exactly, yeah. It'll just fall around you, and you'll not, you might notice that it happened. But honestly, like I, and I'm sure Harbor Freight are buying them from China, and whoever's selling them over here is buying them from China, so I would just be aware. The scary thing for that is, like, how many of those have to collapse before they put forward for a recall? Uh, how many were put down to user error first? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people with like, cars it's like on top car of them. recalls until it becomes economically necessity. They'll just keep selling them. Yeah, they're, they're not going to admit it until it is a, a major problem. Yep, the Chinese are definitely out to get us. First Corona, now Harbor, Harbor Freight actual stands. Yeah, we've all locked down. Corona wasn't going to get us, and they're like, "What are they doing during lockdown? Land under cars? Yeah, throw them out." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. just to finish up, Volkswagen have found themselves in hot water with their latest advert. Again. Again, <laughs> yes. This is uh, Volkswagen Germany, and Volkswagen Germany have a, a good history with things like this. Basically, their latest ad was for the Golf. From what I can gather, I haven't seen, but it was based, it was a, kind of like a parody of another advert, where it's about controlling people, essentially, and this, essentially, is this black guy in a suit is standing beside the Mark, the Mark 8 Golf. This white hand reaches in, 
pushes him out of the way, and then he kind of like grips him by the head, drags him over to the front of a shop, and flicks him into the shop, keeps him away from the car. Nothing too sinister until you sort of look in, you go, okay, white hand, black guy, I can see where this is going. The shop that he's flicked into is a cafe called, and I'm going to butcher this, but I think it's called Petite Cologne, which is German for little colonist. So <laughs> we can see the racism hanging off this already. And this is, it's just building up and building up. It is indeed. And then to finish it off, the German equivalent for the new golf starts to fade onto the screen. And the first five letters that appear spell out Neger, N-E-G-E-R, which is German for a word that I'm sure everyone knows that I'm not going to say on this. Just term it the N-word. The N-word indeed, yes. This kicked off. Volkswagen turned around and said, oh no, I can't believe people have picked up this advert wrong. Everyone's interpreting it wrong. And I think less than a week later, they pulled it and started to apologize profusely for it and actually stated that here we know our own history and we're aware of it and we don't like to offend anyone, especially because of this. Um, mm-hmm. I think it even went as far as Volkswagen of America released a statement, which is absolutely ridiculous in my opinion, because like it does not have anything to do with Volkswagen of America, to be fair. Like, Nobody in America was authorizing that at their head office in Germany, but I suppose part of the brand is just, and seemingly with all this kind of thing too, it's just kind of like, if you do something and you apologize, it's not enough. You can't seem to do enough to counteract things like this, whether you're involved in it or not. Jürgen Stackmann, VW Brands Board Member for Sales and Marketing, and Elke Hitmuller, Head of Diversity Management, apologized and said, <laughs> we, under- we understand the public outrage is this because we're horrified too. This video is an insult to all achievements of the civil rights movement. It is an insult to every decent person, they wrote. We at Volkswagen are aware. <laughs> Slipping in them classic accents there. Always. We at, we at Volkswagen are aware of the historical origins and the guilt of our company during the Nazi regime. Wow, that's a callback. Yeah, I think everyone is. Don't mention that the is war. We resolutely oppose all forms of hatred, slander, propaganda, and discrimination. Yeah, so uh, they really dug back there with their apology. They did, yeah. It's funny to see them actually bring up the whole history involving with Hitler and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I don't know if it was like an external marketing team did this or internal or what. I, I don't think it's any coincidence, to be fair to you. I, I find it hard to believe that made it all the way through all the approvals and testing to be aired. Yeah, it is. It's definitely like I'm. I'm not that PC to be fair. Like, but I mean, even for me, I'm kind of going. My God, what are you at here? I was talking about this earlier. I think they've just got to the stage now where they're sitting in the boardroom, doing lines of cocaine, going right. I bet yeah, I can do X, Y, and Z. Outrageous. We'll, we'll slip um, this in. <laughs> yeah, just it's just a comp- uh, competition between the board members who can screw up the most and keep keep the company rolling. I tell they're you just, what, <laughs> between that and all the the faults they've come up with lately, it does seem that way. Big up Volkswagen. Another thing is they've done a is a gender gender a gender stereotype and advert withdrawn last year because they've done all these uh, they launched the Eagles in 2019 and they had to retract an advert basically showcasing a load of men doing stereotypical men stuff and the snowflake brigades jumped all over it basically yeah they weren't uh, too impressed but. And don't forget, there's also the small issue of Dieselgate as well. Yeah, that was uh, another one of theirs. Yeah, there's been quite a few over the years. And even when you look into Dieselgate with the uh, testing on the monkeys and stuff like that that they were trying to do, and they actually wanted to test on humans, you kind of, you kind of wonder what's going on over there. Well, saying that, some of the cars are pumping out. You do wonder what's going on. 
Here could be worse. You could work in BMW with the big grills. Oh, jeez. Don't even start me on the big grills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big grills of Volkswagen. We look forward to your next balls up. Yeah, it'll give us something to talk about. Yeah, so that finishes up for this episode's news then. So we'll move on to this episode's topic, and it's one that's quite close to my heart, quite close to Lee's heart, and I imagine quite close to your own, Nigel. Yes, I've had a few encounters with this topic. All right, yep. Yeah, so this will be a bit of a hint for everyone. Of a yeah, it's unbelievable. Let me play you the song of my people. Exactly. <laughs> so that is my beloved 12-valve VR6. It's one of those engines that it could slate it a lot. Anyone who li- loves them, loves them. A lot of people don't like them. Say they're slow, they're underpowered for what they are, blah, blah, blah. But you cannot deny that they have absolute character. And even if you don't own a Volkswagen, speak to anyone in any other brand, any other scene, and they will generally know about the VR6. Kicking it off then. The development of the VR6 dates way back into the 70s, which probably surprises most people considering it didn't appear in a production car until the start of the 90s. The head of Volkswagen powertrain, Peter Hofber, wanted a six-cylinder engine compact enough to fit across the engine bay of a golf-sized car, and he had the full backing of the head of research, Dr. Ernest Fela. The actual name comes from the description of the engine. BMW were famous for their six-cylinder inline, so you had six pistons all in a row. The Americans and Some of the Germans had a V6 engine, which traditionally is 60 degree or 90 degree V angle between two banks of three cylinders. These weren't what Volkswagen were after. Both were too big, so they wanted to go more compact. So they built a narrow angle V6, which had 15 degrees. So this meant then that basically the cylinders overlapped and shared the same valve train on head. With that arrangement, the German for the inline motor is... Ein motor, which is actually spelt with an R, which is obviously silent, and combine that with V6 for inline V6, and the initials give you RV6. So that's kind of what we know, but it's not exactly right. The reason for this being is Peter Hofper says when he and Fela were in America, they saw signs for recreational vehicles, also known as RVs, and they says we can't be associated with that, we can't be seen to be that. So it basically switched the two letters and come up with VR6. Bingo, perfect. So development then started behind the scenes and the first one to come out was a 2 litre VR6 built in 1978. This actually produced 100 horsepower and was tested out in Mark 1 Golfs and Jettas. So there's a lot of people out there don't like the VR6 in a Mark 1, don't like them in Mark 1 Jettas, too heavy, blah blah blah. So interesting to see that Volkswagen were actually testing them out in those cars. But looking at that 2 litre VR6, it isn't like we know today. The standard operation of one is that the intakes at the front, exhaust at the back, and it was actually the other way around. It was still a cross-flow engine, but the exhaust was at the front, kind of like the small block engines and intake at the back. As the development continued, displacement increased due to combustion problems, trying to get a better fuel burn. So they went from 2 litre, then they went up to 2.2, which was actually an early 24 valve, I believe, which is interesting because when they did initially release them in, they were out as 12s. They then went up to 2.4 and a 2.4 diesel. So a lot of people will tell you that the reason that they're so strong is because they were developed as a diesel. They're kind of getting it from that. It's not exactly true, but there's some sort of truth in it. But it's kind of like saying Volkswagen's 2-litre 8 valve is strong because they built a diesel similar to it. There's an element of the coal arts. There is, unfortunately, yeah. 
But I think at that stage, they were they were just attempting to build anything. And when you look at the 2.4s, they actually made the same power as the 2.8s when they were initially released. They were in around that 170 horsepower. The VR6 continued nothing more as a research project due to Volkswagen mainly focusing on fuel economy. Come 1981 then, everything's going as normal. A Volkswagen employee hears a glass smash. That's strange. Crunchy guitars soon to play. Come on. Is it Stone Cold Steve Austin? No. But it's his Volkswagen equivalent, Carl Hahn. <laughs> and fuel economy could kiss his ass. <laughs> so... Carl Hans, the new it, Volkswagen chairman. WWE character? He may, he may as well have been because he was coming in and he was going to mess things up for them. Let's so, build an economic engine. You can kiss my ass! Exactly. <laughs> Smash a beer over your head. Carl Hans came in as the new Volkswagen chairman and he could see problems arise in the Passat class. For years, the Passat was based on an Audi chassis and the old B1s and B2s had longitudinal engines and still front wheel drive. But from the B3 onwards, they were switching to being a transverse engine, much like the Mark IIs. So, and he says, and I quote, We needed a credible, competitive six-cylinder program. The ID5 cylinder was too long, and the Euro and Jap competitors already had six-cylinder engines in the Passat class. So as far as he was concerned, especially in the US market, a four-cylinder in a car of that size was as good as dead. At the same time as this, though, Audi were also looking into building their own V6, and they were looking at to form the V6 initially, and then their upcoming V8. Carl Hahn and the head of Audi, Ferdinand Peach, agreed that engineers at Volkswagen and Audi would develop two different V6s, and then they would essentially pick the best of the two and use it for both brands. Audi weren't actually happy about this because they were seen as, and seen themselves more as a prestigious brand and didn't want to be associated with the parent company, Volkswagen. So they wanted a, a separate, yeah, it's a bit pretentious. They wanted a, a separate V6. Nothing, nothing, nothing much has changed. No, definitely not. <laughs> Wonder where the owners was bad back then. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so they wanted their own V6, kind of so that they could set themselves apart and not be seen as a, a Volkswagen and drag, essentially. A better reputation as a, a Volkswagen with makeup. Yeah. I, why would you buy that? And you can go and buy a yeah. BMW or something similar. As it would turn out then, competition between both teams was fierce and resulted in both Volkswagen and Audi wanting both engines for themselves. So what they came up with was that good that Audi and Volkswagen wanted to keep both of them. The familiar design of a V6 was known quantity, so it was familiar to designers and customers. So the guys designed this and the people buying it were familiar with what they were getting and the new V6 would be a good engine. But the VR6 was potentially cheaper to build, which was a big selling point. One head, one valve train and much more compact to fit in many more cars. The finance teams were having none of it though, and a choice had to be made. So they both went their separate ways. Audi took the V6, which went on to develop with the V8, and Volkswagen took the VR6 due to its compact design, allowing it to slot between the engine bay of a front-wheel drive transversely, and leave room for crumple zones and vital components without overheating anything, which is a bit of a push because VR6 is run very hot. They are hot. <laughs> yeah. The design was so compact that Carl Hahn actually wanted to fit it to the Polo, but he didn't see a market for it. And I personally think that would be absolutely brilliant. Imagine a Polo VR6 from, from factory. Yeah, like a 1980s, <laughs> even early 90s Polo. Those things are tiny. And Blow your mind. When, Blow I was, your when I was researching this, that kind of reminded me of the Fabia VRS, which took the yeah. small Fabia based on the Polo and took the bigger Golf engine, which was a TDI, and lumped it into it. It was great. I actually had one of them myself. That's right, actually, yeah. And to me, that's if it went down that route with the Polo, it kind of would have been like an early version of that. 
So it'd been interesting to see how they package that, because when you look under the bonnet of the Fabia VRS, it looks like someone built it at home with a placement of things, and it was just kind of like, put the engine in and see what we can fit around it. Yeah, it was really handy workout, I remember. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> loads of room around them. People talk about the 300ZX having no room in the engine bay, try working at a, a Fabia VRS. Moving on from the development stages then, in the late 80s, there were rumours the VR6 was about to be shelved. This rumour was reinforced by Volkswagen releasing the Corrado with the G60 engine. Most people were expecting the VR6 to break around that stage, and then when the four-cylinder supercharged engine came out, within around some similar sort of horsepower, people thought, no, this isn't going to happen. Volkswagen were asked directly about it at the Paris Motor Show, and the only response that was given was, these cars will have a six-cylinder engine in the future, and they wouldn't give any more information on it. Keeping their cars close. Exactly, yeah. So maybe they were having problems with it, who knows? You know, maybe they just didn't want to... They thought we can hype this up and not tell them too much about it. I always heard the development of it before they brought it out. There was head gasket development was the issue when they were getting it ready for market. Okay, yeah. So I think that was maybe what held them back. Was that maybe a, like an overheating issue or something? Yeah, it was because of the narrow angle, I think. Was, they were trying to get that sorted out. Yeah. And it's, it still is a, an issue, like, or when it, even when the car came out, like, there's early tales of head gaskets. Right, now that's before my time obviously but i'm not wasn't aware of that but i can understand there's a lot of concentrated heat between all six cylinders yeah. in the, the center of the engine 1981 then saw the vr6s finally hit the road and the first model they appeared in was the passat b3 finally carl's dream was taken on the u.s market to come true so one year later the vr6 found its way finally into what we know and love as the mark III golf or some of us know and love anyway <laughs> the and, game change exactly game change. and also the corrado i i remember my dad had two or three Mark II GTIs, and then the Mark III came out, and there's the 8-valve came out, and then the Sporty 16-valve, and then they released the VR6, and everyone was just like, wow, a 6-cylinder VR6 Mark III Golf, this is awesome. And just, I remember the buzz when it was being released, it was just amazing. Yeah, because there was nothing like that on the market. No. And even after that, Alpha did the, was it a 3.2 V6 in the front of the one. 147 was it the wee the wee hatchback one and i don't really know much about them but they weren't as common on the road maybe they were more expensive than the volkswagens but other than that the used to come to caswell in a clover leaf edition one I right ah uh, that'd be rare enough now yeah so you're saying there was a lot of buzz about them then when they were first released yes, it was it was a big deal and as we know then us and uk golf's got the 2.8s front wheel drive only and then the 2.9 which was pretty much the same engine it was 100cc more into the Corrado. I think I was 90, late 94, early 95. They come in then. Um, the 2.9 in Europe then found its way into some of the Golfs attached to Synchros. I'm talking nonsense. That's when they ended. I think it was late 92, early 93 they brought that into the Corrado, sorry. Actually, yeah, that would make sense because they come in with the distributor rather than the coil packs. That basically replaced the G60 because the G60 had issues. Oh, yeah. We'll not talk about <laughs> G60s. <laughs> Yeah, so the 2.9 then found its way into European Golfs and some of the Passats as well, attached to the all-wheel drive synchro models. And we didn't get those, unfortunately. I think they're they're starting, they're coming of age now where they start to import into America. They're kind of going mad for those because they're a bit different. The 2.9 gave you, what was it, an extra 10 brake or so? Yeah, like it was, I think it was actually about 16. The 2.8s were 174 oh, 180. from factory and 190 for the 2.9s. Yeah. So, yeah, you're probably something you would feel. I'm, I imagine a wee bit of a torque increase as well. But I, I think it was to compensate for the weight in the Corrado as well. Are they heavier than a Mark III? Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I assumed they'd been lighter for some reason. I don't know why I thought okay. that. I think they're marginally heavier, and I think they're sort of... Probably better built. <laughs> I think they had to make them faster than the Golf or something. I'm not too sure, but there was something about the reason why they put the 2.9 in. Yeah, well, it kind of makes sense. Why would you buy one over the other, other than the body yeah. style? It's like the Sirocco and the Golf, Mark III Sirocco. They didn't put it the four-wheel drive and, the R. and stuff in the Sirocco R's because the Golf's supposed to be the flagship. Yeah. And then it would be a case of, well, why would you buy a Golf when you could have the Sirocco, which is better? Exactly, yeah. That's the same car. It's probably the other sportier. way around for that. The Corrado was seen as the sporty kind of car, so it had to be a little bit better than the has been bog standard to buy Golf. The Volkswagen Golf, the VR6, was aimed squarely at the BMW 3 Series market. The cars were well specced. The idea was to stop the natural progression at the time that most people bought a Golf GTI and then they upgraded to a 3 Series and later in life and Volkswagen wanted brand retention. One thing that always got me though was people, and I said this at the start, people slate the VR6 for being slow, it's lazy, you know, I don't get it because the same people then rave about 325 and 328 BMWs. At the time when they released, both cars were similar kind of money, the similar power to weight ratios, they're similar engine sizes, same sort of miles per gallon. I don't why one's I don't know why one's picked over the other or what the reason for abusing the VR6 over one is. Yeah, it's a strange one. I've had a few VR6 over the years and I think a lot of people that have VR6s will agree that it makes no sense when you buy a VR6, why the engines vary widely in their performance for some reason. One uh-huh. could have been driven the nuts off for years and be a flying machine. One could be serviced and treated with kid gloves and be dead. There are strange engines sometimes that you could have a well-looked-after engine and it's not performed great. Um, then you can have one that was treated badly and it's a flying machine. It made no sense. From I've probably had about 10 VR6s in various forms over the years and just strange. I would imagine mine had a hard life because it's it feels very lively. Apparently, they responded well to a good kicking. Mine certainly got that. <laughs> I will freely admit that. And Lee's getting the engine after me, so it's not like I have to worry about who's getting it after. <laughs> Prime example, I used to have a 24-valve Corrado. Yeah. So that's 204 brake. It had an exhaust, an intake, and a remap. And at the time, a friend had a fairly rough Corrado VR6 with an intake, a six-prance, and an exhaust. And his went past me. Yeah. So work out, work out out. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's a strange one. I When I got the 24-valve myself, I was always kind of thinking to myself, this is obviously quicker, but it doesn't feel as quick as the 12-valve. It's a different part delivery than the 24-valve. It's very deceptive. It, it? it really is. So the 12-valve VR6 remained in the Mark III for all of its production run right to the end and when they were finished off in 1998. Did a few changes in electronics. Distributor changed their coil pack and it went from OBD1 to OBD2. So they were a bit more easier to work at with the computer side of things, but pretty much the same engine. I imagine the OBD1 to 2 was more an emissions thing. The Mark III side of things, I think. Was it 97, 98? They'd done a few nice run-out highline. They did, yeah. I remember the early the release VRs. A lot of them were white for some reason. Okay. Um, I just remember that. White and grey, I always remember seeing. But yeah, um, a few more fancy metallic colours in the run-out edition. I would know, like, you know. Yeah, I think Volkswagen are known for doing that with the come to the end of a line of golf and they just kind of spec them up to get rid of them. I think they have to because people are going, why should I buy this now when the next model's coming? Exactly, yeah. We just have to throw all the toys at them. Then in 2000, the Mark IV Golf was released with its updated VR6 engine. This sort of harked back to the development stages of the VR6 and had changed from a 12-valve to a 24-valve head. 
single VVT cam and updated electronics and the power increased to 204 horsepower. And as you just said there before, the power delivery in them is a lot smoother. You kind of like the 12 valves, you get up halfway up through the rev range and it kind of starts to pull more. Where these are, they're silky smooth the whole way and they don't feel as fast even if they are quicker. Same as the difference between my turbo diesel versus like an old PD. Yeah, you're right. With the it, it drives I can't a lot think smoother. Of the word that I'm trying to think of refinement. Yeah, definitely is. Where it's just it's on boost as soon as you put your foot down. There's no lag. No, where the, yeah. the PD was mid range, it was coming into the turbo, and next thing you're in the back seat. Yeah, it was like 80s turbo lag versus exactly. Modern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. As this was happening in the UK, the US continued with a slightly updated 12-valve version in their Mark IVs until 2002, when they switched to dual VVT, the same as the UK. Are you saying that Volkswagen have a VTEC released in 2002? Pretty much. It continually varies the valve timing, so no matter what's happening, it's chopping and changing at it, where the VTEC is like a, I think it's a pressure switch, like it's oil, like an oil solenoid. There's VVT in the Mark V in them. Is there, yeah? Yeah. I know um kind of getting off topic here, but in the the VTEC engines then that IVTEC later on, it went more like the variable valve timing as opposed to like a switchover the way the, the VTEC works. Mm-hmm. So behind the scenes then, Volkswagen were working away on a larger displacement VR6. This was very similar, as I said, to the 24-valve engine, coil-on-plug, GLVVT, but capacity was pushed up to 32 in true Volkswagen fashion, though, this was not to be in the Golf, but was released first in the lesser-known Beetle RSI. The Beetle RSI is pretty cool. It's essentially an R32 Beetle. With power now up to 240 horsepower, the 3.2 made its way into the Golf VR, or the R32 in 2003, you want to say. So that's essentially what gave the Golf R32 its name, the 3.2. Again, this continued into the Mark V. Very little change other than a few electronics. I think the Mark V actually came with another 10 horsepower. But pretty much the same engine. There's next to nothing in them. Mark fives are probably heavier too. They continued that engine against a tide of a lot of car manufacturers downscaling their engines to smaller engines. It was a very against the flow of the way a lot of engines were going at the time. Yeah, if you look at their competitors, like there's an Astra, the VXR and things like that were two liter turbos. Everything was downsizing going into the turbo yeah. side of things. Volkswagen continued on. That ultimately was the downfall of the VR6 was technology was pushing on. And everyone wanted smaller, faster, lighter turbo cars. I sometimes wonder, did they just go on ahead with it as a breathing gap so they could further develop their 2-litre turbo engine? It could well have been, yeah. Because it did it did them well, because when the 2-litre turbo released, it was a great engine. 2-litre turbo they developed now is just mental with the power they're getting out of. Yeah. So, sadly then, the Mark V was the last Golf that the VR6 would be seen in, in any sort of form. Insert sad, insert sad music here. Small violin playing. In 2005, a very different VR6 appeared in the market. Keeping familiar basic design, the 3.6 appeared. This had been rumoured to appear in the R32, but unfortunately it didn't. The V6 angle was reduced to 10.6 degrees, and it was also equipped with a more modern FSI indirect injection. I'm sure Paul there at Dubtech is loving those engines, having to walnut blast the back of the, the valves in them. Handy worked up. Not. <laughs> I think Andy Maxwell does a lot of those as well. Depending on what they appeared in, power ranged from anything from 270 horsepower to 300 horsepower. The first thing it actually did come out in was the B6 Passat. There's a guy in America on Instagram I follow. I can't remember his exact username, but I think it's like Matt underscore Mark 6. 
Uh, it's Mark Six model. Is that it? That is a white Mark Six, which was the GTI, the two liter turbo. I took it out and dropped the three point six into it. Yeah. For me, that's the way that car should have come from factory, and the sound of it. That's the perfect Mark Six show car, man. It is, yeah. And like, I'm not a big modern car guy, but that thing is incredible. So over the years, the VR6 obviously appeared in many formats, but it also appeared in a wide range of vehicles. Obviously, if you're Volkswagens, your Audis, anything within the VAG group, even the Porsche gained a lot of the, the VR6s. Some of the lesser known things is the Ford Galaxy. I would love one of those. The Gal- yeah. <laughs> I think they're so cool. <laughs> I think the, the Galaxy's got the 12-valve and the 24-valve because they were essentially a Volkswagen Saran people carrier. Yeah, just a soccer mom wagon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Merc Vito as well. So basically Merc were having problems getting the V6s onto the bonnet of the Vito. So the, the V-Class. They bought a whole lot of the, the V6s off, or the VR6s off Volkswagen for that. Sorry. Some of the more obscure models then come in the form of a low production supercar and actually forklift trucks. Forklift trucks? Yeah, did you know this one? <laughs> no, who's running VR6 forklift trucks? Well, I'll... I'll uh, I'll talk about the, the supercar first and we'll finish off with the more humorous one. I can just see them at Tesco Depot doing drag races right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the case I would, I would have a job in Tesco's. So a German manufacturer, Agera, used a 3.6 VR6 mid-mounted in the back of their first car, which was their GT. Sent a picture of this to you a while back, Nigel. Did I show you Italy? I don't think so. They're quite nice. They're kind of like the similar kind of vibes to Porsche Cayman. Yeah, they're quite slipping. Yeah, they're really, really nice car. They were built between 2009 and 2012. They had 296 horsepower, fed to the back wheels through Volkswagen's own DSG gearbox. Carbon nice. fiber body, really, really light. They actually have a power to weight ratio of 265 horsepower per ton. To give it some sort of comparison, the same engine in the R36 Passat only is 172 horsepower per ton. So they're fairly rapid, we think. Good power to weight ratio for sure. That's it. Moving on to the, the more humorous side of things then, Lindy Forklifts. Right. So there's not a massive amount of information on this, but I did find a brochure stating that they offer the 3.6 VR6 run on LPG. It's limited to 90 horsepower and it doesn't actually drive the forklift. It's used to drive the hydraulic pump that runs their hydrostatic movement, basically. So it's it's basically a giant hydraulic pump, which is really, really strange. What a waste. What, yeah, what a waste indeed. But there's also rumour as well that they're actually aluminium blocked. I don't know if that would have, you know, drag racing implications or what way it works or if you could use the block in any kind of race application. It's definitely something I didn't expect to see them in. You'd see everybody rushing to the forklift breaker yards now after you sent well, that class. that's it. I drive a forklift and work and it definitely hasn't got a VR6 in it. <laughs> um, it's more Tesla orientated with the batteries. And then coming full circle back to the original name of the VR6, Ironically, they actually appeared in some of the Winnebago RVs in America. So while they were trying to avoid being associated with RVs, they ended up actually in the RVs over there. Full circle. Exactly. The circle of life. Yeah. <laughs> there was other. There was another VR6 engine, but it, when I looked at it, it wasn't actually built by Volkswagen. It was built by a motorcycle manufacturer called Hortex or Horex. I don't know if they built it under license, but it's kind of it's pretty much the same design. It's a narrow angle, fifteen degree VR six engine, but it's only twelve hundred cc and has a supercharger strapped to it and a motorbike, which is definitely an interesting concept. And be interesting, okay? Yeah, so it it pushes one hundred and sixty odd horsepower. I'd love to hear the sound of it. You know, high revving twelve hundred cc VR six essentially. 
there's very little on it they, they went bust for a while and then they come back and there was rumors they were building it again and then it just seems to sort of fizzle out it's kind of one of those will it happen won't it happen kind of thing wonder how many vr6 units that volkswagen produced over the years it must be millions and millions yeah it'd be crazy because as we talked about there are just sort of briefly skimmed over they went into everything so you had them in yeah. all the like volkswagen everything from the golf right up into the tour eggs um, and even still to this day in the Atlas in America, the Porsches got them, Audi got them, Skoda got them, and some of the Superbs, I think, in the in Europe. Crazy amount. Now, as I say, there are differences between the 12-valve, 24-valve, and even the 3.6, but they are essentially the same engine. And then, finally, moving on to basically the downfall of the VR6. As we touched on earlier, technology was the big killer for the VR6. People were looking towards two-liter engines producing more power, better miles per gallon. For the manufacturers, then, being a four-cylinder, they're likely cheaper to produce. They're smaller, lighter. You can put them into pretty much anything you want compared to trying to shoehorn, albeit a more compact V6, into something. And then the dreaded emissions raised their head. Yeah, I think I was. I think it was the main driving factor, really, of the demise of the VR. That's it. Yeah. Um, EU, other bodies around the world. Efficiency on legislation, basically. That's it. Yeah. So you have the EU. You have other bodies around the world. They're all tightening restrictions on emissions, and even in Europe, there you have a lot of. And well, I suppose London too. Um, big cities are restricting certain fuel types and emissions output cars to whether they can come into the cities or not. So you're not going to buy something that you can't drive. Yeah, just on that topic. You see that uh, London have raised their car emissions tax for the centre of London? No. So is this if you want to go into it, you have to pay in? At the start of this week, the Lord Mayor raised it to £12 to £15. But at the same time, the Prime Minister announced don't use public transport. So that's like a double kick in the nuts it for is, anybody yeah. working in London. Yeah, take your car, but we're going to charge you more for it. Yeah. Sorry to off track. Just no, that's, just uh, off I, nothing shocks me with that anymore, to be fair. Like. And then... Probably since 2013, this kind of, you've probably seen it, the two years have probably seen it online. This kind of rears its head now and again where drones come up for Volkswagen producing a 3-litre turbo VR6 again. I don't think it's ever going to happen. It's I can't, I can't see it. No, they've come too far towards smaller engines. Everything's going that way. and I, I think stories like this are just feathered into the enthusiast market just to keep the enthusiasts slightly hopeful. Or yeah, but I... I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, definitely not. But for all their faults, good or bad, they're very tunable engines. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> NA tuning, there's not a whole lot you can get out of them. You know, anything beyond cams and exhaust and air filter, you're probably going to be wasting your time. But when they really come into their own is forced induction. That was a big factor for me when I was buying a car in 2010. I was going for either a Mark IV R32 or a Mark V GTI. That's right, your black one. Yeah, that's right. I've done a bit of research. Um, the tune of a Mark IV R32 versus uh, a Mark V Golf, it was twice the price to tune out the R32 to get an extra 30 or 40 brake, whereas the Mark V you tune it and you get an extra 100 brake yeah. for half the money. Yeah, it's a no-brainer there, to be fair. Like. I think the, the kind of the entry level for force induction on them is the supercharger, would you say? Yeah. Force induction, yeah. Yeah. Most people seem to go that route. It's the Vortec charger. It's kind of like it's essentially a turbo ran off a belt as opposed to a traditional charger making boost from like pretty much from your pulling off at 1000 RPM. So there is still that kind of lag with them until they build up pressure and then they're making boost. 
but it's very drivable, controlled delivery with power. It is, yeah, because they're an engine, they're, they're very torquey low down, so they don't really need a whole lot of bottom end. It's more the top end that you want to be pushing through. And then the natural progression flat, if you're seeing on the Facebook pages and forums, seems to be people moving into the turbo. Supercharger would be um, the cheaper way of doing it. But when you go turbocharging, dig deep because things get expensive rather quickly. Yeah, I think even fitting the supercharger you don't even you can get away with running them without an, an intercooler if you're running low boost kind of thing but yeah low when, boost spacer gasket um it's like i'm not gonna say it's like fitting an alternator but you know it's yeah it's, it's fairly cool. it looks to be like a weekend's work kind of thing in it where if you're going turbo you've a lot more to do you've intercoolers you can run non-intercooled turbo but there doesn't seem to be much point in it why do it half fast Exactly, and that's kind of where you come into that conversation, is you have the experience of turbo in yours. Yeah, well, if you're watching the lockdown logs, I sort of done a, a wee bit of a chat about it, but I bought a completely standard BR6 Corrado, drove for two years, and then had my heart set on supercharging it. I actually drove a Mark III Golf supercharged, and I would compare it to the same sort of power delivery as an E20, or an E36 M3, just a nice, linear, smooth power delivery. Yeah. Supercharging uh, 12 valve VR6, you're lucky to get 250-ish, maybe, maybe 260-ish. Mm-hmm. I was all for going supercharged, and then just at the same time, our good friend Gaffin was going from 12-valve turbo to 24-valve turbo. So I took his old 12-valve plant. And the deal was done. Yeah, I entered the world of turbocharged yeah, six-cylinder Volkswagen. Shook hands with the devil. A.K.A. Yeah. the grenade. The grenade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I took it off. I took it off him after he had sort of wrinkled out a lot of problems with it. Um, That's the best I'm way to do. Touch, I'm actually touching a wooden desk here, and it seems to be fairly reliable. Ah, uh, hopefully um, it stays that way. <laughs> I think the thing that spoiled it for me has been the Edition Thirty, a modern turbocharged car, because it's very much sledgehammer turbo lag boost delivery. Sure. Yeah, it's it's kind of that thing. It's like a kind of older technology, but then you have to remember that. That Corrado, the power plant, was bolted together by a guy in a shed as opposed to something that's had hundreds of yeah. thousands spent in development on it, on a team of people. It might benefit with a slightly smaller turbo, just, you know, if you tweaked it out with it. I can hear Gethin screaming at the at the radio now. Yeah, yeah. Power, power! Yeah. <laughs> Man a loves Jeremy. a big turbo. <laughs> but yeah, credit to them as well, though. They're a super strong engine from standard. We were talking earlier about you're sort of seeing 400 to 450 horsepower on a standard block. There's not too many engines that are going to do that. Some people will tell you to stick a set of rod bolts in it, and even to do that, it's nothing. Like, But what other engine are you going to get that's going to take that much abuse and take it pretty reliably? Mine's basically run the spacer gasket and the ARP bolts. And what sort of power are you running, roughly? Uh, well, it should be 400, but it's not making that. Yeah, but, um, uh, when you eventually get there, it'll not be an issue. After that sort of point, then, you're going into the bottom end. And just on that, there's quite a number of tuners out there, but one in particular is Donkey Tech in Germany, I think they are. And they're doing some mental stuff with VR6 turbos. They have them, they fit them pretty much anything that'll move. And one of them was putting out, was it 14, over 1400 horsepower and a Mark II Golf running like eight and a half second quarter miles. And I don't think those guys use parachutes or anything. They're just on the brakes after I think some of them have parachutes now. I happen to be lucky enough to actually see them attend Santa Pod International Competition. Uh-huh. There was the Mark III, the Mark II, and the Polo, all VR6 turbo, four-wheel drive. Unbelievable to watch them. It's like someone's got an elastic band and just threw the car down the track. It's yeah. Just, they've been developing the force induction engines now for years, and they've just got, they've got it right. the noise out of them. 
but it's very agricultural. We're, we're briefly chatting this summer in the pits and the open engine bays and stuff like that there. Um, it's very uh, function over form in the cars. Like there's no finesse. It's just as a race car. Get 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 the air in. Get the emissions out. Because you know, so large turbos, large induction. You know, it's just very functional, but it's completely works. High RPM launches in. Globally in the UK, I think probably Stealth would probably be the big name. Ronan Hickey, that's who he done his supercharged tuning, and will probably yeah. do his turbo as well. Um, stateside, then there's a guy I follow. I don't know if you two follow him. His Instagram name is R58VRT, a guy, Bruce. He has a green Mark III VR6 with two VR6 turbos, one the front, one the back. Have you seen that? I have not, but I must look him up now. You've said that. <laughs> the thing is unbelievable. I think I first found them through, is it 1320 video? Ah, I know the car you're talking about now. Yes, that, so, was, probably, that was released last year, that video, I think. Yeah. So he's had it for a while. Um, it is, and he's continually pushing on with it. And most recently, according to his Instagram, the combination of the two engines, I think the front one runs 800 horsepower and the rear one runs 900 horsepower. He has sequential boxes on each one. It's an ingenious system that he has for doing burnouts, you know, for warming up the tires. Each box has its own lever, and he has like a mechanical, kind of like a bolt or like a lock between the two so that they can work together. But... He can disconnect it as well, so he can disconnect it through the front engine, say, into first, do this massive burnout, stop, throw the rear engine into first, do a rear-wheel drive burnout, and he essentially has warmed all four tyres, lock the two together and take off and four-wheel drive down the track. Class. That, that thing's mental. You know, it just came into my head, and I think we can't really talk about VR6s in the UK without, or tuning in the UK without talking about... Uh, Dubsport and Ian Birch back in the day. That's right, actually, yeah. That was probably one of the like, first twin-engine cars i seen. He done twin-engine Mark 1, twin-engine Rally. He was just mental. Absolutely yeah. mental. He built a, was it like a baby blue Mark 3 with a Mark 4 front? And it had the 12-valve yeah. VR6s? Or were they a turbo? I think, or, forget which one was first, but there was definitely a turbocharged setup. I think he like ran it. Nitrous as well for a while. And why not? Just throw everything out. That's it, yes, you may as well. <laughs> Going back to Max Bar days, like that was... Probably one of the biggest draws in the Volkswagen world for me was watching that guy building cars. Back then, sort of like rear-engined and twin-engined cars was kind of a bit mental, and they hadn't really got the four-wheel drive capabilities to, to run the power yeah. they're looking to run. Like now you can pull the deck system out of the four motions and bolt them into Mark IIs, Mark Threes. It's not just as simple as that, but it is relatively straightforward compared to trying to butch them from some other random car into it. Yeah, it was proper engineering back then. But the problem is you're dragging the weight. Listeners out there, Google Ian Birch Dove Sport, and I think there might be a few videos on YouTube here and there, but... Oh, there's bound to be, yeah. That was pretty cool. We've talked about all the, the different iterations and different vehicles and stuff that the, the VR has appeared in over the years. I think my favourite one ever is um, the Boatswagon. That's right, the Boatswagon. Have you seen it, Nigel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <So> someone... <laughs> For those out there who have never seen it, Google Boatswagon. It's a VR6 in a boat. It is awesome. It's something that someone built. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the Boatswagon. That's right. Even the name's just perfect for it. Yeah. So yeah, they've appeared in many places. I think we'll leave it there, folks. And I really enjoyed researching that. And VR6 is something I think is close to us all. And it was fun looking into it. And I learned a few bits about it and refreshed my memories with some of the stuff about it. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's really good to talk back about uh, VR6s and something that's been pretty pretty prominent in my life as uh, a Volkswagen fan, that's for sure. Yeah, and if anybody, any of the listeners out there don't like them or have lost them, there's no real loss, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. Exactly. I think at one point we joked about we had so many VR sixes in our friend group. We were talking about changing our name to Shed VR sixty two. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot in our group. There's a lot in our shed as well. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to our listeners' questions. This week's first question is from Dog Pizza. He says, what's the worst engine ever made and why is it the VR6? Well, we all know that you're Ooh. not a fan of the VR. <laughs> no, Mike's definitely not a fan of the VR. It isn't. It isn't. It's really not. <laughs> End of question. Could we say it's the ABA that they got, the two liter? Yeah, it's pretty flaccid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely alienate people there then. Nothing so- excites me less than an ABA. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Ian K says, insert Wookiee noise and answer my questions you missed, Connor. Yeah, we cu- missed a couple of Ian's questions that he had sent in last week, so we will answer them shortly. Yeah, Ian. Sorry, sent- Ian, but we, because of our thousands of listeners, sometimes questions don't get picked up. It's just, you know. <laughs> we, have, we have to concentrate on the more important listeners. Is that what you're saying, Nigel? <laughs> <laughs> just so uh, the questions that come in every week, we'll have to file 3,000 of them. It's just elimination sometimes. That's terrible, yeah. <laughs> Um, AJMVW Andy asks what is the most power achieved from a modified VR I would imagine the donkey tech guys yeah I think so we'll probably be cracking this here but uh... Gethin will definitely let us know he will Yeah. as I talked about earlier the donkey tech mark 2 is upwards of 1400 horsepower so I can't imagine there's too many out there on a single block doing it I would say you're pushing the limits of 1400 like. Next question is from Studio 10 Detailing. It's not actually a question, it's just a statement. He says, top tip, don't drive an R32 like a lunatic during every mile. It'll go pop, which he knows from experience. Yeah, yeah he, learned, he learned the hard way. Yeah, it definitely went bang in spectacular fashion for him. So good advice there, Robin. Thank you. I think I remember a story of driving the show one year Um I think he made a wrong turn um, when we got to the show. The friends who were in the car with him told him told us that he sat at 145 miles an hour for 15 minutes to catch up with us. I don't believe that for a second. He would <laughs> never do such an awful illegal act. Yeah, he must have been on a rolling road doing that. <laughs> must have been, but it must have been in Mexico he did it too. <laughs> Mexico is everywhere. It's great. The Mexican invasion. I, f- funny story. Well, not really funny, but just you know, just one of those things. Uh, Robin used to date a young woman from where I live and he lived about probably 50 miles away at the time and on a Friday evening he used to finish work and my house was close to the nearby bypass road and I used to know when Robin arrived in Cumber because you heard him going flat out across the bypass when he arrived in Cumber. <laughs> so what you're saying is he knew what was ahead of him, he was flat out. And then he would text you about three hours later after he had attended to his uh, Young woman. <laughs> probably two and a half hours of that was probably fixing his hair. That was it, um, yeah. <laughs> he would text you then to say that, uh, uh, do you want to meet in the bar for a drink? That's it. Post-coital drink. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Paddy used to say that he could hear you going home in the Bora. That's right, yeah. The familiar hound, the howl of the VR6. <laughs> uh, William Cornet 96 asks for... A good all-round setup, would you turbo and supercharge? I don't think there's any need to, Nigel, do you? You get the right turbo, um, you should be grand. With modern te- turbo technology, 
and a bit of correct tuning, you should be grand. Twin turbo, like a compound turbo setup, to sort of bring the boost in for a large kick-ass turbo. Who's that? Uh, what do you call it? Home built or something this YouTube channel. Oh, right, no, I don't know what. But he has a smaller turbo that basically helps fill up the bigger one. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a compound um, I don't think for me the supercharger is more to make up for low down power, you know, for a lack of it. And the the VR six doesn't need it. It's a torquey engine, pulls good yeah. from low down, and then you get the vortex charger on it. it. Works more like a turbo up top. I think that or a turbo is more than enough on them. Um, do you remember he was entered for this year's dump shed? Connor Keane, the Mark Four R thirty two. I think Gaffin done a bit of work on it for United Motorsport. Is that for the from the south? Road track. Yeah, the road track blue one. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Now, that's a supercharged R32. I think that was making 400-odd brake. Oh, that's impressive. Maybe it wasn't, but that was a very capable supercharged R32. Yeah, so, that's and that's the lesser travel route with the, the road tracks on it. And the best about it is, you open the engine bay, the, the location of the road tracks charger, and it's head away down in, like an alternator. Yeah, it's, it's, it's down near so the sudden. power steering pump, isn't it? Yeah, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't take a supercharged. That's handy but, if you have not declared and the police stop you. <laughs> very, very, very capable car. I've seen that's in Mondello, like, and yeah, so there's something to be said for supercharging the right uh, setup. Yeah, definitely. If you want big horsepower, turbocharging the way. Next question is from David Jack Hill. He says, why was such a good engine put into things that rust to bits and then a little winky face? Well, <laughs> The natural, that burn, Connor, that burn, did it? No, no, I would say the, the normal reason or the reasoning behind that is that it's easier to remove. You can just kind of like break the mounts away. <laughs> <laughs> you, you crash the car and the engine comes flying out of it, lands in your yard, drop it into something I like, else. I like the way you have logical answers to these colors. Oh, you have to. Like, I've got that much abuse about Mark Threes over the years. <laughs> You're I, skin with the Mark III comments. I mean, I think you covered a lot of it in your main topic about... You know, it, it wasn't just put into the Mark III, but the Mark III is the the quintessential VR6. I think when you think of a VR6, that's the first yeah. car that you think of. Um, a V6 to us is a pretty big engine. Like, obviously in the US, a V6 is, like, tiny, and they all make fun of, like, shitty little V6s in convertible Mustangs and stuff, and they all think it's funny. But to us, a V6, maybe not so much now, but... Back then was kind of a big deal. Yeah, well, that's what Nigel was saying about when the 2.8 came out and the Mark III. Everybody was like, my God, look at this. This is a monster of an engine. But I think that's why it's so cool. Because V6s and V8s are supposed to be, well, in my book, they're like American muscle cars or like big Mercs or stuff you think of with like those big V engines. But not what is, in inverted commas, objectively a shitty little Volkswagen. Yeah. You know, you don't think of them having those type of engines and that's especially the Mark III which is like the red-headed stepchild of the golf world but well, I, I, <laughs> I do actually believe the Mark IV is now that child everybody hates Mark IV kids now it's great but uh, but I think that's part of the reason Mark III <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why it's so cool do you know what I mean yeah yeah it's like the European V8 essentially you know it's our version of that the the big muscle car engine Something we can actually maybe afford to run and feel compared to V8. Well, that's debatable at times, even when I'm running my yeah. hook. <laughs> <laughs> two questions now from Ian Kay, which are the questions that we missed last time. Yeah, these definitely aren't two weeks old. 
Oh, definitely not. Question one: When is Lee going to get that VR sex Corrado going? Yeah, Lee oh. wins. Yeah, Lee win. Good when question. Yeah. Um, Some day. Really help that. It's really help that they go out and buy a Mark One Jetta. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> this is the annoying thing I said on the on the lockdown logs for those who didn't see it. I bought the Jetta because with working away and so on and never being at home all my other project cars the Vento and the Corrado and the Nova they've all been neglected and I just don't have the time at the minute to do what I want to do with them so I bought the Jetta because it was pretty much already done the engine conversion and everything was already done it's running driving needs MOT and a couple little tweaks but nothing much and my plan for it was it was bought pretty much ready to go to drive and take to shows and stuff this summer while I had all the other ones sitting in the shed and obviously Corona put paid to all of that but that was kind of the plan and and the plan was to start working on some of the other cars this year but the short answer is someday but yeah. I don't know exactly when. I think we get this garage built up you'll, you'll be able to pull it into the dry and work away as and when you want. Yeah. Keep saying that to yourself and be grand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next question from Ian is what are your thoughts on 4k plus wheels with El Cheapo tyres I think we're all going to say the same thing but there is a point where it comes that if you want a certain stretch of tyre some dear premium tyres do not supply that size yeah that's what I was going to say sometimes Nankang is your only option yeah that that was my problem with the, the Mark 3 um I tend to run kind of like mid-range tires, you know, like Falcons, that kind of thing. And I have Falcons in the back of the car, but I couldn't get the size. I wanted a, was a 185.35 for the front, and the only people I could find that were doing it were Nankang. And I was like, right, go for it. And in the dry, for what the car is, it, they work fine in the wet, they're not great. But if I could get something, a better tire in that size to do, yeah, certainly I would have it. I would always prefer, if I could, to run better tires. I always, always run good tires on my daily. Yeah. With the mileage that I do, I ha- I couldn't, I couldn't not. But I would like to run better tires on some of the other cars. But sometimes you just don't have the option if you can't get the sizes. Yeah, but if the size is available, it comes down to your budget too. Like there's, um, I remember Robin buying the TT 06s for his R32. Yeah. And do you ever hear how much the Mitzlans were to put on that? No, but I'm sure they were delicious. Two fifty a quarter. Oh, nice. And what did he run the Mitzlans? Yeah. Ah, well, sure. He he's <laughs> a man likes the good tires. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if it's going on a show car, are you going to be driving that hard? Also, you know. Yeah, that's true. Although it does bring us back to the story before of the time that Marty built the um, on the Bolf, he had the wide that's RSs. And <laughs> it was brilliant. He had the what he had custom turbo fans and stuff for it when turbo yeah. fans were kind of new out at the time well new to the scene they were coming back big style yeah he was judging the car and marked them down for having probably nankangs on it on such a cool wheel setup and then the following year marty came back with was it like race slicks off his brother's rally car yeah <laughs> and stretched those onto them as well and when Robin said about them, he's like, yeah, that come from your comments the last time I could judge. It wasn't letting you mark me down again. <laughs> so I think to sum up, I think it just depends. <laughs> That's it. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to go out, if you're going to spend big money on a car, 
the only thing keeping you on the road really is the rower. Yeah, that's well, why I if in an ideal world, if you could get all the sizes that you wanted, I would never skimp on tires. No. But as I say, sometimes I, you just don't have the option. I bought my A4 there last year and it came with 19 inch um, RS wheels on it. But it had budget tires all around on it. Uh-huh. And I've only just, um, I wasn't going to put, pull the tires off immediately. Yeah. So the fronts went and then I changed them to Pirelli's and then I got a big stud through one there two weeks ago. Oh, and nice. I changed I changed the back two to Pirelli's just for the sake of it. But the difference, now I can push it around B-rolls nicely. It, it does make all the difference. And to be honest with you, a uh, local tire fitter got me the Pirelli's for not a lot, not too much more than what the budget tires would have cost. Yeah, that's what I found. I run Michelin's and the Bora, and like it wasn't a whole lot more to run that than it was to run some cheap crap. Yeah. Next question from Jazz Monkey. He says, what's the most ghetto modification slash bodge job you've ever seen done to a car? Oof, I've done a few. <laughs> <laughs> the hand of guilt arises. Cable ties are a firm favourite for anything. I mean, you can pretty much fix anything with a cable tie, I find. My Nova, when I had it on the road, every year I took it for headlight alignment before MOT most of the clips on the headlights were had been broken over the years so they were all held in with cable ties and I, I think the last time I went to the auto electrician before I I took it for MOT and I said to him and he didn't even charge me for the alignment because he said I couldn't really align them properly so I wouldn't stand over it but you know it might get you there <laughs> yeah he was he was just tensioning the cable ties as they went to adjust the headlights <laughs> Finger, fingers crossed that works for you yep <laughs> Another old favourite is the uh, big bean can on the exhaust. That's right, actually. I've done a few of those over the years, too. <laughs> yeah. Here, my, it works. <laughs> yeah, my Mark III to pull me out of a hole. I couldn't get a centre section in time. And I kept driving the car again. It actually, had, I think it broke. It broke at a joint or something, but it was on a straight joint. And I went in, at a tin of soup, and took the tin then, cut the ends of it, split it along its length, wrapped it out around the exhaust and put two uh, Jubilee clamps on it. And that held it for like a week until I got an exhaust sorted for the car. Was that the time what? that it broke on me when I was driving over from Bambridge? It is, yeah. yeah. Aye. Nice. What about yourself, <laughs> Nigel? Your, tw- your 24 volt Corrado springs to mind. Oh no, we'll not talk about that. <laughs> um, the, not personal ones, just sort of things I've seen over the years. Uh, I think there's a few favourites. One, back in the day, induction kits were quite expensive when you're on a budget. And I've seen a lot of boys would take the airbox off and just replace or just cover the intake pipe with a pair of tights. Yeah, seen that done. Um, I've seen plenty of bodged welded exhaust. Um, I've done plenty. I've, back in the Fast and Furious days, I've seen train pipes used as side skirts on oh, corsets. Don't... Don't start me. That's that's starting again now as well. There was a Mark Three at Players Classic last year that had. Right. We were looking around it, and everybody was like, "Oh, that thing's amazing!" I was looking at it, going, "That looks like downpipe along the, for the skirts." And then when it it was in PVW like a month later, and he had said, "Oh yeah, I made the side skirts out of downspout," and I was like, "I wouldn't be telling anybody that." <laughs> <laughs> and I think the the finish of the boys jobs for me would be. Fake roll cages made out of uh, poly pipe. 
Oh, the roll cages that aren't even bolted in, that are just sitting up against the dash. There's a guy who I know will be listening to this, and I won't name him, but he had a car, very well-known car in the Volkswagen scene, that the roll cage wasn't bolted in. He had a set of bucket seats in the front, and the harnesses for through the seats were bolted, were strapped to the the roll cage. Oh, very good. Yeah, so... (laughs) Wow. I know who you yeah, are. Yeah, you know who you are. And if you're listening, I hope you're shamefaced. <laughs> <laughs> what was another one I was going to say there? Oh, the, when you said about tights, Nigel, tights to darken your rear lights. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Stressed out over. <laughs> that was a big wow. thing. <laughs> you got a um, ladder in one. Another paint one. Your, paint your rear lights and then don't paint them correctly and start to run and you can see the run. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Another one I didn't see, but I've heard of. I think it was our friend Richie who bought a a Civic or something for. Um, oh, it was yeah, an EF Civic to do the nuts corner like demolition derby or something in. I actually think this was one that he wanted for a road car. Oh, was it? Which makes it worse. It had obviously had a lot of filler in it, and I think he knocked out a big lump of filler, and there was an exhaust or a a number plate in under the filler just to like bridge a big gap yeah there was a <laughs> hole in the sill that someone had filled with a number plate and then skimmed over it the filler <laughs> having owned a couple of boards in my early years i i can feel that yeah yeah you know what's happening <laughs> there yeah <laughs> some spectacular uh, repairs okay next question from s14 ocp should social distance drives be allowed what's the rules should we all get cb radios I think Absolutely. that would be great. I, 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 I'm just waiting for the first uh, cars and coffee stroke coast run because there's no reason we can't do it now. I don't think is there. I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard the local legislations lately, as I say. But like the only thing I can see wrong is if you're going in, if you have to go and get fuel, you know, you're putting yourself in a position where you have to go into shops and things like that. But other than that, if you're in the car and you're keeping your distance from people, I don't see why not. Yeah, I think. Uh, Devil's advocate that is, you know, say you have an accident, you're blah, 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 um, ambulance resources. Yeah, but, uh, you're taken away think, from what's I think in coming, I think in coming weeks they're going to play a big part in the scene here, to be honest. Yeah, definitely I like the idea of the CB radios. We, I, we used to do that on road trips when we were younger. We used to go away on camping holidays with another family and we had CB radios between the cars. It was great fun. 10-4 rubber duck. <laughs> I think you can, get, you can get an app now that acts like a CB radio, whether or not, no. That's actually very true. You'll probably just do like a big WhatsApp call or something, not everyone into it. Yeah, yeah. so uh, stay tuned for the reload distance socials. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying I should build a car very shortly? <laughs> yes, sorry, Apollo. I can't get a buck in MOT. They've turned the MOT centre in Craigavon into a coronavirus testing centre. Like, what the hell, guys? Yeah. If it's anything like the MOTs, you'll have to wait about six weeks to get tested for coronavirus. You'll be dead by that stage. One of my friends is an MOT inspector, and a friend with him on Facebook, and basically every two days, he's he's posting up his cycling adventures because he's not working. So oh, that's right. Yeah, those guys will be off. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they're furloughed or they'll just go down them. So what you're telling me is you have a friend in the MOT centre? I have several friends in the MOT Centre, but... Hmm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> do Let's more... talk about that off-air, shall we? Do they need any more friends? <laughs> uh, they probably do. They're MOT inspectors. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
right up there with cops and traffic wardens. <laughs> Um, next question from Ronan, age 21. He says, pick a Chinese or chipper. Chinese. Or naming names here or just in general? I would say in general. Chinese every time. I'm the same. I'm, at the minute, I'm craving a Chinese so bad. Like, I just... Now, our favourite Chinese, or my favourite Chinese in Lurgan, sadly changed hands recently. So, my favourite meal is no longer available. And I do love chips. I'm thinking, like, could you have Chinese with chippy chips? Could you have a bit of both? Best of both worlds? You might, you might win the Nobel Peace Prize for that suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> no racism here. <laughs> um, my problem is, chippies close to me, they're, they're probably 78 out of 10. They're probably spectacular. But, I don't know, just Chinese just killer every time. Yeah, to be fair, there's a... There's a chippy locally to us there. A girl has opened up outside our work and it's in a in like a trailer, you know, like in a van. And it's genuinely the best chippy for miles. Yeah, like it's I, really good. There's not in any of the towns locally here, there's not one of them that could touch her. It's unbelievable. But as a general rule, I'll pick Chinese. There you go, folks. We're covering all the big issues today in this podcast. <laughs> and, now, and now I'm starving. <laughs> Should we I'm do a happy. uh so Social distance uh, drive to the chippy van. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, next question again from Ronan. Diff recommendations for an O2A. Quaif, Wave Track, Kaz, or Peloquin? I apologize. I've uh, probably butchered all of those. I have a Wave Track in the Corrado and I have a Quaif in the GTI. And how do you tell which is better than the other? The in 30 forums, they would always push between a quaff and a wave track on the forums for Edition um, 30 anyway. but That does know. seem to be the two big ones. Yeah, but I've heard of a few run Pelicans. I think they do. They like the, the wave track and the quaff. Both really good brands. They just do the same thing different ways and just kind of comes down to personal preference. Yeah. The quaff. There's a quaff dealer in Lisburn there. I got my Edition 30 diff off. Like, and I think they're slightly cheaper. Um, I think the wave track was put in mind because of the exchange rate band from America at the time. Ah, it just happened to suit better at the time. Yeah. Quaif's the only one that I've actually heard of, so I'm going to vote for that. Go with it. Go with what you know. <laughs> pick one, Lee. Pick one. <laughs> um, next question from guess, Mark. Sorry. Guess, sorry. Guess, what, guess what Roman's band next then? Ah, yeah. <laughs> the wall's taking a hammering. Next question is from Mark Hill, WTB. He says, is there any truth that Robin is still finishing his lockdown log because of the delay? <laughs> <laughs> the last I heard, he's still standing in the yard looking for signal. <laughs> the neighbor's Wi-Fi signal, I will add. Yeah, that was uh, quite an interesting log for the first 20 months until he moved out of his mainline workshop and then we actually got some signal. It I... was talking, it was like a news report from the 1980s when they were talking to somebody in uh, Iraq. Land. I um I was quite selfishly I was quite glad that happened to you and not to me because I'd have hung up on him. <laughs> I think I think Houston had less trans or less transmission lag than uh, the Apollo thirteen when we did that other night there, Robin. Well, that's true, but then Balamina is stuck in the dark ages. The comments section on that log actually made me first out laugh. Yeah, it was quite. It was as good as the actual log itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next question is from That Bagged VRS. He says, as a Skoda and VW technician, I've seen cats being mangled in timing belts. Have you seen this? Can't say as I have, to be honest. 
my granda used to have uh, basically a flock of cats when I was growing up on our farm. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, two to three of them ended up at the mercy of an auxiliary belt and Land Rovers, tractors and cars. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, ben, I swear to go. Um, I've heard of people getting their fingers caught in pulleys and Stephen belts and stuff. Too, yeah. Oh, that just sounds so awful. The, pro- the problem is the cats go up into the engines because they're warm at night. And then you start it, and yeah. then you have cats, you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the closest thing I've had to that, I think it was like the first first time I brought the golf out, the Mark Three, when it was when I had it sitting really good on coilovers and it was really it was running low, like, and I had a plate welded to the bottom of the sump to reinforce it, and I had quite a sharp edge on it, and I hit. I can't remember if it was a rabbit or a dead rabbit. And I pretty much shredded it. Like, I looked in the mirror behind me and there was fluff and guts and shite everywhere, essentially. And about a day or so later, I went over to pick up our friend Stefan and we're heading to his lockup at his granny's house. And we were sitting in traffic outside this shop. And I said to him, I was like, has that shop got a new deli counter? I can smell food or something. That Something smells quite nice. And he was like, no, I don't think so. Is that we shops? There wouldn't be anything in there. And then we got up to his granny's house and I could still smell this what. <laughs> smelled like delicious food yeah and i was like what is that smell and then it was like it's in my car and i popped up on it and having the like very clean tidy engine but you can see in round everything and it turned out when it hit the rabbit it pretty much burst and the guts wrapped around around the old roll bar which is about two <laughs> inches from the exhaust downpipe and it cooked the guts and that's what i was smelling delicious <laughs> yep tasty delicious. i was tempted <laughs> Uh, moving on. Next question from FF Metalworks. He says, Connor, why are you so handsome? Lee, you're quite lucky. I'll do you a swap, Dennis. Well, <laughs> I think I've Dennis... I've seen a whole new light to this man. Well, Dennis looks a bit like myself, so I think he's really as a backwards compliment to himself there, is it? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> he also asks, favourite non-car related TV show? Straight away, The Wire. I was, yeah, I was thinking The Wire. Um, Comedy-wise, would be still game to Scottish comedy. That's good, but, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I just watch that much stuff. I couldn't really nail down to one thing. I'd give um, you a recommendation, if you haven't seen it, for a comedy. Um, Veep. Oh, Veep is fantastic. Have you seen it, Nigel? No, I haven't seen it. It is so funny. I, I came across it by accident. I don't know how I got onto it, but... A lot of people haven't heard of it. Well, people in America probably have, but not so much over here. Um, it is hilarious. Check it out. Julia Dreyfus is the vice president of America, and she's pretty much England to be the president. And it follows her and her like back of house staff, and they're all like backstabbing each other and stuff. And it's nice wee short, like twenty five minute episodes, so you can binge it quite yeah. easily. The other comedy I like is always something in Philadelphia. I couldn't um, get into that. First series, it gets better as it goes on. Yeah, I watched the first series and then gave up. And people said to me, they were like, yeah, you probably should watch the whole thing. And I was like, nah, I think I'll leave it. (laughs) (laughs) I hear what you're saying, but... I'm ignoring you. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. More serious programs, I think. Most favourite thing I've watched lately was probably Chernobyl. That is absolutely unreal. It actually was really good, yeah. I watched it a while back. Absolutely. It was in Sky. I haven't seen it. No, it's it's good. It's, it's Westworld well was good, and then it got really weird. I mean, it was always kind of weird. Yeah, and Westworld? then it got super weird. <laughs> did, yeah. Did you Wait. watch it? Yeah, it was fantastic for naked women. It's great. Also true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Lee liked it. Yeah, that was it. 
another one from Dennis. Best mod you've ever done to any car? Again, right away, Mark Three Golf, or right. That essentially saved my car from me from destroying it, as I've said before. Yeah, probably I'll be going back to the Corrado Air Raid or those Ed Pegasus. I think that Pegasus changed the car. Yeah, to me, that's the best wheels in that car. I'm going to say my Mitsubishi wheels on the Vento. Yeah. It's my favourite. I liked it. Um, another one from Dennis. Which car would you want today that you saw during high school? I think we own most of the cars that we liked during high school. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Mark three golfs, Mark one golfs, yeah. Nigel's a bit, uh, a bit older. He'd be like a chariot or yeah, a horse, a horse and cart. <laughs> there was a fellow on the snooker hole around the corner from my high school. And he had a, what do you call him, 190E, 2.3, 16-valve Cosworth. Oh, very nice, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would name them in. They're really cool. And the last one from Dennis, he says, if you could design an aftermarket part, what would it be? That's quite a tough question. Yeah, I'd have to think about that one for a while. That's too complex for me. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to be working with Dennis. Well, I say shortly, it'll probably not be shortly with the Mark III, but Dennis is a big one for making like custom car parts, gear knobs. Um, well, I'll nearly give away what he's going to be doing next. I don't want to do that, but a lot of, you know, manual laden CNC work, that kind of thing and he's been at me about doing like a custom gear knob for the car so i'm trying to come up with some sort of like a play on an iconic design that was from early volkswagen days to see what we can come up with but that's probably as close as i'll get to designing something my problem with designing anything is i have the artistic skills of a boiled potato you do. i actually can't draw <laughs> i just can't and i can i can see things in my head i can imagine the way things should look but i can't I don't have any way of transferring that to the outside world because when I try to draw, it just comes out like a three-year-old. It's just, it's terrible. I just can't do it. One thing I will say is that Lee's tattoo artist doesn't get paid enough because I've seen the sketches that Lee brought to him and I've seen the work that he has done and it is unbelievable. Yeah, he had to decipher my squiggles. He actually sent me a couple of messages saying, like, what was this bit again? <laughs> yeah, it'd be like the equivalent of essentially throwing up on a page and saying, yeah, paint that and coming out with the Mona Lisa. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not a designer, I'm afraid. Dennis, give yourself zero headaches. Don't approach Leah about anything custom. No. <laughs> okay, next question is from Gethin GTI and I. He says, engine mods for a VR6 are for the diehards. Discuss. LOL. I think we sort of have covered that really, haven't we? Yeah. Um, I think he's right in that. Well, is he getting that turbos is more diehard than not turbo and that kind of thing? Or does he mean just running a VR6 is for the diehards? Either well, way, he's probably right. He's, just, he's talking about VR6s. I'm going to agree with him. I will always bow to guessing superior knowledge on a VR6. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that is the end of the questions. That's us. Connor, cool. do you want to check in case we've missed anybody? <laughs> no, because I checked the last time we did miss people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much for all your questions again, folks. We will be continuing our lockdown logs. This will be going into Wednesday, so we'll have Corey Sterling on Sunday. We'll have a few more guys coming up this week and next. Uh, we're going to continue it for another while. Yeah, and as I said before, if anybody wants to come on and do it with us, give us a shout. You're all more than welcome. And like, there is a lot of listeners have been on from both sides of the water, so the more we can get on, the better. 
Yeah, don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it there. Thanks again very much for listening. Um, rate and review all that jazz. I don't know if it makes any difference or not. But uh, we'll, we'll say that it does. But it's nice to read anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's quite a while. We have we, at the beginning there when we put that out, we had a few reviews come through. It's a while from we've had any. So if anybody wants to jump on and give us reviews, rate us. Make sure you rate us five stars. If you're rating us less than five stars, please don't. And <laughs> that'll do. Yeah, folks. Thanks very much. And um, we'll see you again for our next episode very soon. So if you check us out in the usual social media, Reload Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. And so we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. Keep an eye out for news and posts on social media. My Instagram is Boy. I'm at Maxwellhouse46. And I'm at Connor McCann. Thanks very much and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, goodbye. Bye.